0: Find the recruiting manager and tell your story uh, about why that employer is inspiring to you. It might not get you the job, but it will make you stand out. This is Life at BP. Conversations with inspiring people with inspiring stories. Conversation about their life at BP and beyond.
1: I'm Pratiba Rakeshami, and in this episode... I talked to Amy Patton on the changing landscape of graduate hiring in the post-pandemic world and why bringing in young talent is critical in reaching our ambition of achieving net zero. Amy is the Early Careers Talent Acquisition Manager at BP. Her team is based in Houston and Chicago and is responsible for recruitment activity across all BP business lines and disciplines for internship, co-op, and full-time graduate roles. Amy, welcome to the Life at BP podcast. I'm so excited to be chatting to you today.
0: Thanks, Pratiba. It's nice to be
1: here. Amy, you have spent about twenty years of your career
0: predominantly within the energy industry. What has kept you here? There's certainly been ups and downs in the industry over my twenty-year career, uh, but it has been hugely rewarding. I've been able to see the world um, in in ways I never imagined. I've been to over 20 countries, worked with different cultures and people all over the world, and just am really fortunate to have had the opportunities to work in an industry that that focuses on making the world better and, and bringing energy um, to, to everyone. So tell me a little bit about the responsibilities of you and your team within BP? We recruit um, for BP across all of our discipline groups, all of our job locations, to bring in early career talent, so those graduating from university, into our internship programs and into our graduate development programs. So we recruit at, you know, across our different countries. So my team looks after Canada, Mexico, Trinidad, and the US. Um, I have a counterpart in the, the UK who looks after the EMEA region and, and one in Asia Pacific. She's based in Singapore that does the same. So globally, um, the three of us lead a team of recruiters to to bring in that fresh talent to the organization. Amy, I know that this is not a typical campaign year for you.
1: We've had a couple of major events. Firstly, a global pandemic, which has really Change the way we and many organizations around the world hire talent, Um, especially early careers, because we tend to have the most amount of face time with the early careers on campus events. and, And the other big event is that we have had a new CEO come in in February, which has absolutely changed the direction of travel for BP. We have an inspiring purpose. And an extremely ambitious destination of achieving net zero by 2050 or sooner. How has that impacted the type of people we
0: bring into BP? It's a great question. So so Bernard made his announcement back in in February. And and I think, you know, a lot of us in the early career talent space are still living the buzz off of that because it is so aligned with what we get asked so frequently from students at university. What are we doing um, to to get towards net carbon? What are we doing to, to re- net zero? What are we doing to reduce carbon? What opportunities are there in alternative forms of energy for them to contribute? And we just haven't had a great story uh, around that in the past. Um, it's not that we weren't doing, doing things and, and focused on that. Um, but it wasn't part of our overarching vision and ambition. So now that it is, and we are making a lot of progress already, the, the announcements and things that the organization has been doing just since Bernard took over as CEO show that he's serious and, and that there are opportunities and that BP is going to be different in the future. And so, so I think for those in university that are interested in huge challenges and contributing to a better world and making the planet a better place, have great options at at BP. And not that you didn't have great options before, but it's changing and it's different. And um, we're still in the infancy of all of that. So, but I think over the next year, a lot of that will become more clear in terms of the types of roles we'll have available, the long-term career paths, et cetera. And, and Bernard himself was a grad. And so he's committed to, to early career talent and he's the product of coming into an early career program and, and growing his career clear up to CEO. So, so I'm excited um, that, that he's leading us on this new path and, and journey. And I think it will afford us great opportunities as we engage with this Generation Z talent um, in the coming months and years ahead. Staying on the
1: topic of questions from graduates, do you have a set of questions that you tend to get quite regularly from graduates and it could be concerns as well, I suppose, um, about joining the energy sector or BP specifically?
0: Yes. So two really come to mind. They're around the the types of roles that we have and diversity. The first one, I think one of the misconceptions is that we we are just a, you know, engineering, hardcore engineering, geoscience, you know, upstream um, type of, of company. Um, and, and in fact, we, we have a huge commodity trading business. We have a big commercial business with our lubricants, um, side of the business as well as others. And as you have mentioned, as we move into more lower carbon businesses, um, that, that will call for, for more commercial and other types of skills. So, so I think. As we go out and engage with talent that isn't petroleum engineering or process engineering, um, but is maybe finance or economics, um, students are surprised genuinely that that we are looking for them and and desiring them for the opportunities that that we have. So that's one of the big ones. And then the second one is diversity. And so I. I think that the industry as a whole um, has a reputation for, for not being diverse. Um, and I just remember my very first experience at BP um, when I came on site at our Houston office for, for my interviews sitting in the in the Rotunda lobby area and just observing that people coming through, it was early morning and it's a big wide open lobby area that everybody has to go through in the morning and people were, were stopping off. There's a Starbucks. So they were you know, mingling over coffee and just visually looking around. I was struck by, by the visible diversity of what I, I was seeing and experiencing. And that was my very first experience and having been with BP for, for eight years, that has just continued, continued to transcend over time. Um, I'm not saying we do diversity perfectly, we don't. And we are on a, a journey as is everybody to to improve our, our diversity metrics, to think about diversity beyond just the visible um, of, of gender and ethnicity. That diversity means so much more to us at, at BP and we talk about it. So that's one of the things I, really love and feel fortunate about is that we expect everybody to come to work as they are, bring your whole self to work. And whether you're LGBTQ, whether you're a veteran, whether you're male, female, white, black, it doesn't doesn't matter. There's a place for you here. Um, And just the fact that that struck out to me the very first time I walked into BP, and then the number of conversations that that I participate in on a daily, if not weekly basis, um, just brings to life that we are committed to learning, growing and, and nurturing the diversity of our workforce. And what sort of work
1: does your team do to make sure that the process is inclusive, to make sure that we are actually bringing diverse candidates?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. I I hope we do a good job. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm always open to suggestions and hearing from from those who go through our process, how how we make sure that we are doing that, because it is it is a goal um, and and a focus, I'd I'd say in terms of the tangible things that we do to show that um, is just Reaching out to diverse student organizations and diverse um, national organizations. So, so being present and showing up and engaging with different talent across different diversity strands. Um, and and that's also why we go to as many schools as we go to. We we could just say, oh, let's just go to three or four schools, but. We also believe there's diversity in thought and, and how you're you're you know, taught to think in university and approach problems and solve problems. So that's important to us as well. And so broadening our reach, engaging with different groups, those that's one of the things we do. Um, the other thing we do is we partner with our business resource groups. So those are groups with MBP. Um, that that are set up to form internal you know, communities of sorts. So we have an African-American network in the US, we have a working parents network, we have a, a veterans network, and I think we have about a dozen of them. Um, and I know around the world, we have these networks in our BP, locations as well and so through the recruitment process we we share that those are communities that are available if you choose to join BP and so you have a community and a network built in and available for you and we we work with the members of those organizations to help us recruit um, and and share their mission and their purpose and and what it's like to be at BP um, within that particular community
1: and one of the Key sort of concerns um, that I've heard from graduates that I've spoken to. And I think I remember even my own experience of joining after uh, studying full time was this transition uh, from being a full time student to a full time employee in a big corporate um, company. And I remember when I finished uh, university and got a graduate job, I was petrified, that uh, I may not sort of come across in the in the way that I am uh, expected to come across. And that transition has been is a pretty tough one for many, many students. What does BP do to help students transition from being a full time student to having their voice heard and finding
0: confidence in a big corporate? there's a few things. So our early career talent teams do a fantastic job of, of looking after the talent once it's brought into the organization. So, so my team finds the talent and brings them, um, you know, onboards them through day one. And then another team looks after their journey um, as an employee. And, there's a number of things, both formal structure and informal to to help with that transition. So there's some courses, there's a program called Ignite that is a a program for all of our graduates globally to participate and helps with that transition to to a corporate um, world. It's separate from your technical, so it's not gonna help with your technical depth for the role that you're doing. It's going to provide you with those skills for your toolkit on more of the the interpersonal and the um you know emotional intelligence and and things like that so that's one thing Um, buddies so depending on different parts of of the company and and where you are in the world some uh, new hires will receive a buddy or a mentor to to help with that um transition so you've got kind of a built-in um, point of contact confidant to, to help you navigate because as you mentioned, you know it's a big organization so there's a lot to learn and a lot to know um, in terms of how work gets done and, and how how you want to you know guide your career um, as, as you join a new organization. So those are some of the things that that BP does specifically. Um, I always encourage um, new joiners, To really focus on being you and because it can be exhausting trying to be somebody else. And so I think, you know, having been a grad myself once upon a time, um, I think you you come in and you're all all grads that I've ever met are super ambitious, want to make the right impression and get off to the right right pace um, for their careers. And and I'm not saying don't do that, um, but do that with yourself at at the heart and, and then you'll be fine.
1: From your experience, having looked at thousands of applications, what does make a graduate stand out in that process?
0: I'd say a few things and it's not necessarily about making your application stand out as much as it is really thinking through where you want to work and and who are your preferred ideal employers and thinking about what's that extra thing that you could do to connect with that employer. So for, you know, I have a number of examples where students have repeatedly shown up to recruitment events. And, you know, I meet thousands of students one time I meet way fewer students two times or three times. And so it, in, you obviously can't do that as a student with a very full academic schedule to, to connect with you know, every employer multiple times. But if there's just a that one employer or a few employers that you are just the top of your list I would say, make that extra effort to connect with them. And if you don't have that opportunity because they're not at your university or what have you go to LinkedIn, um, I do a search, find who the recruiter is, find the recruiting manager and, and reach out and, and, and tell your story, uh, about why that employer is inspiring to you or, or part of your future vision. Um, and that will, it might not get you the job, but it will make you stand out. And when your name comes across the screen on a resume, we'll remember it. What makes a successful graduate? I've seen a lot of successful graduates and they go about it in different ways. If I, if I kind of reflect on a few of them that are coming to mind, I would say they knew their destination, but they didn't really know their route and that was okay. And so they knew they wanted to you know, be leaders in the organization and they quickly learned. So I think that nimbleness of learning probably served them really well, that there is no one path. A lot of um, early career students will say, well, how did you, how did you get there? What, what, what are the things I need to do? What are the steps to achieve? I wanna be in your role in 10 years, how do I do that? And there is no answer to that and being okay with that understanding the ambiguity um being comfortable with taking that next job that maybe wasn't in your your vision of the route um, and 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 will ultimately be a stepping stone to your destination is is what i see as common so that if i boiled it down it's that flexibility the willingness to learn and and that adaptability to to take risk when it might not feel like quite the right thing, right? You might be an engineer, but you'll go do a commercial role to to learn the business side and the finance side that'll serve you well when you go back to engineering if that's your ultimate vision. So those are the ones that I've seen successful are the ones that are are open to to new and different opportunities that they never even would have imagined um, coming out of their their university program. As somebody responsible for bringing in fresh young
1: talent what excites you the most about our future?
0: What I think is most exciting for for me personally beyond just the fact that our vision is exciting you know being a net zero company um providing energy to the world in clean safe ways um it, that's massively exciting and purposeful I think if I break it down to my role in terms of bringing in early career talent, I've always had a passion and energy for that. That will just continue and bringing in the next CEO, uh, I'm counting on that being on my watch. Uh, And and that's just massively exciting. So I, I think that it's great that our leadership from the top of the house down is committed to early careers talent. I think for the first time in my career, we're on the brink of a revolution in how university recruiting gets done. Um, I think that's exciting. I think there's, you know, the opportunity to use digital in ways that we couldn't have even imagined even six months ago is massively exciting. We implemented, as an example, um, video interviewing. Over six years ago, we were the only ones doing it and everyone thought we were crazy, but no one thinks we're crazy anymore because now everybody's (laughs) figuring out how to do it out of necessity. Um, And so I just think as we get through this um, pandemic and then the post pandemic world, a lot of what we are learning this year in terms of how to recruit is changing. And I haven't seen that before um, in in the space of early career recruitment and and university education systems in general. And so I I find the whole evolution massively exciting and the chance to bring that talent into an organization um, like ours um, to be exciting as well. One of the things
1: that we have to touch on, and I'm pretty sure this is on a lot of early young talent minds at the moment is we are, as a company, going through a lot of change. And that involves the reduction in the number of people that we are going to have uh, in the near future. Why is that important that we bring early careers, despite the fact
0: that we are going through so much change? It's an excellent question. And there's there's no doubt about it, that it is a challenging time for for our industry. We've got kind of the the trifecta going on with the the pandemic, the oil price, and we're reinventing our organization. But because we're reinventing our organization, we need early career talent for the long-term because we're reinventing to be around for the long-term. you know, Our ambition takes us to 2050. That's probably gonna be the end of the career of these early career folk that we're hiring today. So they're gonna be here to achieve those ambitions that we're talking about today. And so it it is a challenging time. It's a difficult time internally to balance that with still bringing in early career talent. And while I wasn't around in the 80s, in in the workforce, I'll say I was around, but not not working um, in the industry. And what I know is that in the eighties, the industry turned off the early career talent pipelines and stopped recruiting at universities and, and completely scaled back. Cause at the time that was a, an easy w- way to, to reduce cost and to to get focused on, on the financials and, and the impacts. And I think the industry as a whole learned from that, not just BP. And so as I talked to my peers um, across the industry, yes, it's challenging. Yes, the numbers might not be the same in some of our companies, um, but broadly we remain committed to early career talent and learning from, from that mistake in the 80s because it took many, many years to regain trust, to rebuild brand and to get back um, you know, in in the good graces of, of the universities and the students. So we're looking to not repeat that mistake.
1: One of the things I definitely wanted to touch on before we finish the podcast was sock orphanage. Um, I was doing some Internet sleuthing on your background yesterday. And I hear you are the the founder and and president of Sock Orphanage, which sounded amazing. So
0: I would love for you to tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Okay. So the Sock Orphanage um, is what I affectionately refer to um, as the laundry basket in my laundry room that has a bunch of mismatched unpaired socks because the dryer ate them or something i don't know Um, and years ago gosh it's probably been how old is my son Um, about 12 years ago or so while i was on maternity leave um, with my son i kept moving that sock orphanage around multiple times. I'm like, why don't I just throw these socks away? I, I just, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough. I can go down and buy another pair of socks. But then it occurred to me that probably everyone has a sock orphanage. And what if we got our sock orphanages together and put our socks together and gave them to those who need them just because I'm fortunate enough to be able to go buy more socks for my kids? It doesn't mean everyone is. So I, I, Got a few friends together and said, do you have a sock orphanage? And they looked at me like I was crazy and then said, yes. <laughs> and that was how the sock orphanage was born. So I, I spent a, a few years getting it off the ground and um, we would convert gently used socks into sock puppets. That was our fundraiser. And we would uh, collect socks and distribute them to to missions around the world. I will say I haven't done a whole lot with it the past couple years. The last time we were really active was after Hurricane Harvey in Houston, at at which point we we breathed life back into it because it was one of the top five needs um, after the hurricane was socks and undergarments and things but it's my retirement plan. So I, I work full time. I've got two, um, I got a teenager and a preteen that, that keep me very busy. But my plan um, when I am blessed enough to retire is to full on commit to, to running the SOC orphanage right now, it's just a side hobby as needed, but thank I, you for asking. It's a, it's a fun project.
1: I absolutely love that. And, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I definitely have a sock orphanage. <laughs> now that I have a one and a half year old at home, um, maybe too
0: small to make finger puppets, but I think there's something there. The, the baby socks make good elephant ears. So they, there's a use for all of them, Pratiba.
1: <laughs> Love that. Love that. Thank you so much, Amy, for your time um, and good luck for a very, very exciting, challenging season ahead. Thanks for i enjoyed it.